Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. We do a lot of interviews with EDM artists, pop artists, rappers, and people in the industry, letting you know what they do behind the scenes. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter through the handle Sidewalk Talk Show. Hope you guys enjoy. Hi, today I'm here with Eshi Lewis. Yo, what's up? <laughs> so you were born in Reading? Yeah, so I'm originally from Reading. Um, I went to Liverpool, I lived there for a bit. So some people think that I'm Scouse, but I'm not. And now I live in South London. Yeah, were your parents also born in Reading? Or? Uh, yeah, so they kind of, well, kind of closer there in a place called Maidenhead. So they're both like mm -hmm. really local and just um, sort of now live quite close to where they grew up. What do they do? Oh, my, nothing musical. Like my dad, uh, yeah. my dad's like a printer. He has like a printing business, and my mum is just like sell stuff. And so yeah, like none of my family are musical at all. So yeah. like when I was like, oh, I want to get into music, they were like, okay, cool, but like, how do you do that? <laughs> like, yeah. So my dad, when um, when I told my dad that I wanted to be a musician, he was like totally supportive, but he thought that meant that my entire life I would be like busking to, and that's how I'd be making yeah, my money. Yeah, like, that's a lot of parents think, damn. Yeah, so he, he was like super supportive but he had no idea how I was going to make money. So Yeah. Yeah, but once like I started being able to like like fund myself and stuff, he was like kind of surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but you did guitar at a young age, right? Yeah, that's right. So I sort of started out in bands and stuff. I, I was just like that kid that sat in his room playing guitar Did a lot you of the time. Yourself or? No, I had lessons actually because uh, the first instrument I ever picked up was actually the flute. Because wow. <laughs> yeah, not really cool. Actually, if I if you learn jazz flute and like Ron yeah. Burgundy kind of made it cool, but I um yeah I went to a concert at school and I saw this like older kid playing the flute and he like rocked the shit out of it and yeah. I was like wow oh my god I want to do that so. I did that for a year and I was like, yeah. oh, this is kind of lame. Did you perform or it was just kind yeah, of like a Yeah, I think I did. <laughs> I was young and I think I did this concert and I pissed myself on the stage. Oh. So <laughs> after that I was like, oh god, and I think that kind of scarred me in terms yeah. of my flute playing. So then uh, I started playing guitar and I kind of became completely obsessed with it. And yeah. I, I was like, I would say I was good at one point, like in terms of being yeah. able to turn around and be like, yeah, I'm like a good guitarist. And then once I got into production, I sort of, stop playing so much guitar i'm trying to get back into it now and the live yeah. show and stuff has like forced me to yeah stop playing more again and also just like being interested in certain genres again and stuff mm -hmm. but how many kind of, bands were you in um i was only ever in one or two and they were both like cover bands because oh. yeah i always wanted to take it a lot more seriously but um my friends like my friends played instruments and stuff but they always just wanted to come around and i'd invite them around for rehearsal i'd be like right okay we're gonna rehearse <laughs> and they'd be like yeah yeah but let's go play fifa first and like and then they'd be like, oh, I'm kind of hungry, I want some lunch. So I'd like, we'd play FIFA, we'd have some lunch. And they'd be like, right, it's time to practice. And they'd be like, oh, shit, it's time to go. Like, yeah, damn. Oh, I got somewhere to be. Like, they didn't really take it seriously. But, yeah. Uh, so, the, like, all the bands around them were terrible. But, yeah. What kind of music did your parents play in the house when you were growing up? This is the mad thing. Honestly, not a lot at all. Like, yeah. it's one of the weirdest kind of, most people that are into music say, like, oh, you know, my dad played, like, Steve Wonder or whatever but honestly growing up like there wasn't a lot of music in the house and it's really weird because my my whole family is so music focused now my brother works in music and oh wow what does he do uh, so he runs an independent record label and um. then he also works in finance at Sony so um, the label's called Lemon Records go check it out they mm -hmm. put some amazing stuff out um, and my dad is now like obsessed he like listens to Radio 1 all day long and what? he's like so he's he, a tastemaker now oh god trust me my dad hits me up and he's like 
have you heard this person? You should totally collab with them. And I'm like, okay, that chill. <laughs> <laughs> Are they cool people? He suggested. Yeah, he's got good taste. He's got, and he's Damn. like, oh, he got a shout out on Radio One the other day because no, that's yeah, so cool. He listens so much, and uh, one of the people on the radio, <laughs> Clara, yeah. had like picked up on it because like. And she like messaged me like, is this your dad? And then they met, so she was on radio and she was like, so cool. she played my track and then she was like, big shout out to Ian Lewis. Oh. <laughs> and he was driving, he said he nearly crashed his car. So he was like, oh my god. Like, oh my god, yeah. I love that. Crazy. So you don't have any like musicians in your family, like aunts, uncles? Um, nothing. Like literally, it's really, yeah. everyone's kind of bewildered as to like where it's come from in terms of me wanting to pursue music, but no one in my direct family is musical. Yeah. Which is kind of strange and it's, it's like, it's all I ever wanted to do and it's like, like I said, it's kind of everything now to, not just me, but my family and my, my dad like, he has so many acts that he loves now and he like, he loves Coldplay. And yeah. So uh, it's kind of crazy that like, that's how it's ended up now because literally there was nothing growing yeah. up. Yeah. So. When you were still in school, you started doing like, like a music tech ride for A-levels. Yeah, right, like music tech and stuff. Uh-huh, so, yeah, that was kind of my introduction to production and stuff, I guess. Um, started learning how to like record bands, um, got introduced to like Logic, Logic mm -hmm. 9 software and stuff, and just kind of threw myself into that. And I started making really terrible dubstep remixes, <laughs> like, and like really bad ones. Like I made yeah. like, back when Ed Sheeran was like not big, he did this like, collaboration EP with like a bunch of grime rappers mm -hmm. and like he did this one with Getz I remember making like a dubstep remix of that because it was like the worst thing I ever heard but then like as Ed, <laughs> Ed Sheeran started to like pop off yeah it started to like get some views online so I had to like delete so much offline like when I started the SG Lewis project and I actually kind of knew what I wanted to make yeah I had to do some um some housekeeping online. Housekeeping <laughs> down. Yeah, but why dubstep initially? Because it was just the thing at the time. It was like I was what 16 when yeah. I was like started learning to produce and stuff. And um, dubstep was just like, especially in the UK, it was this wave that was just completely oh. taken out. And it was before it became like the real over the top like bro steppy. Like yeah. it was more when it was starting out. It was more this like underground London thing. Did um, you? Did, did you I? find like producing yourself or did someone show you like softwares? Um, I was just, I was listening to the music and then, because um, we were oh. using the software in Music Tech, but then I, I mostly learned off of like YouTube tutorials. So, oh, wow. so then there was that like initial wave of like EDM producers, like yeah. uh, early Porter Robinson and like Zed and stuff, and they were making the like, it's called Complexstro at the time, which is mm -hmm. all that like fidgety electro stuff, but um, before it became this big kind of like money making EDM yeah. thing. It was this kind of like nerdy online community of people. So I'd just be on these kind of forums and YouTube tutorials learning how to like make like a saw bass or like yeah. a, a sidechain compressor. And that was the main thing. I didn't really have peers around me immediately. But then you, you start to make friends online and like I always find it funny because you make like producer friends online through like SoundCloud and stuff. Yeah. And you know like producers you you have these people you talk to all the time and then you finally meet and it's like oh shit like yeah. you've known them for ages but at the same yeah. time you don't know them at all and um and obviously no producers by and large are like introverted slightly awkward dudes you know we're all people that spend a lot of time in studios yeah. by ourselves <laughs> making music with a laptop like it's not the most social uh, of professions yeah so i always find it funny at these kind of 
getting togethers of like producers and everyone's just like, hey, uh, that's so true. It's just like a load of awkward dudes yeah. with lots in common and who all really like each other, but all just, yeah, it's fun. Yeah. How do you describe yourself back then growing up? Um, slightly awkward. Yeah, a little bit like introverted, I guess. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's a bit of a music nerd. Like, I kind of, all of my friends are very, um, very like sports team and like sort of uh, rugby orientated and stuff so it wasn't necessarily a cool thing to be doing at that time yeah. but and it kind of started as a joke like I remember I, <laughs> my nickname at school to like my friends like in an affectionate way but it was DJ Dickhead because <laughs> I, and they found it really funny but, so oh my god when it actually started to become a career though they well they find it even funnier like even now they'll come to gigs they'll be like hey DJ Dickhead <laughs> even if it's like even if it's like thousands of people, whatever, they'll still be like, yeah, <laughs> you're a dick. That's so, so funny. Yeah. Would you say that your introvertedness like shapes the music that you make? Yeah, I think as I've grown up, like I, I've definitely like, I think by nature, I'd say I'm introverted, but I think that I'm much more kind of comfortable in myself now and mm -hmm. confident. And I think that playing live especially has like forced me to, you know, it puts you in, a, in an uncomfortable scenario. And, Doing stuff like um, vocaling some of the tracks, then all of a sudden being forced to perform them live has really just like forced me to have to be more extroverted, especially yeah. on stage and stuff. Because I remember the first time I did it, I was just like so nervous. Like mm. I went to sing the first line, I was just like, <laughs> I just like couldn't do it. So, yeah. But over time, you get better and you you grow in confidence and stuff. So yeah, I'd say like um, I'd say. The nature of my music, a lot of it's quite down tempo and mm -hmm. sort of like uh, personal and sort of intimate. And I guess that comes slightly from my own nature, yeah. But yeah. yeah what guess. were your favorite subjects back then other than music? Ooh. Uh, good question. I was good at maths. I don't know if I loved it, but I was really yeah. good at it. Because um, I, I was going to go and do engineering. But it was, oh, wow. Yeah, but like, I, I was always very like, I thought I'd go do something traditional, but then I liked, uh, what else did I like? Like design technology, like building shit. Yeah, I did that too. Just like GCSEs. I did it for A-levels. Oh. <laughs> it was kind of like, everyone considered it a bit of a DOS, but it was good. I yeah. enjoyed it. I learned how to build shit. So yeah. I'm really good at Ikea now. So. <laughs> really good at Ikea. And then you went to university for sound engineering, right? Yeah, so I had, um, I had the kind of Hollywood moment where my teacher sort of sat me down, he called me in at lunch, my form tutor. He was like sat on the table, yeah. he was like, what are you doing with your life? And I was like, huh? And I was like, well, I'm gonna go study engineering, like mm -hmm. mechanical engineering, like yeah. maths and physics and stuff. And he was like, you hate maths, you hate physics. And I was like, yeah, I do, but like, you know, I've got to go get a job. Yeah. And he was like, what about music? And I was like, huh? And I was like, you can't make money from music. And he sort of, we sat down and we went through a bunch of options as to how, you know. So he said, uh, he said, oh, if money were no object, what would you do? And I said, oh, I'd make music in the studio every day. So then yeah. he showed me sort of. Damn, yeah. so he like pushing that direction. Yeah, which wow. is like, you know, I really, to have someone do that is pretty, oh, try not to get one over to. Yeah. But um, to have someone to really like push you to do something creative as opposed to, you know, so many people in life have uh, people of influence above them tell them to do something academic or, so I was really lucky to have someone who just said, no, you know, yeah. fuck it, go and do what you want to do. So, um, yeah, and then, uh, so I went up to Liverpool, so we looked at yeah. this course at Lepa, and um, 
I started studying sound engineering, which is still like super helpful in everything I do and yeah. my like production and stuff, but it was in a much more technical sense in terms of like mm -hmm. working for other artists and right. setting up microphones, tweaking compressors yeah. and like working a desk and I very quickly realised I wanted to be making the music as opposed to just um, sort of accommodating other mm -hmm. people's music. So Was uni something that you wanted to do or did your parents kind of push you to get a degree? Um, I think I didn't know any other options at that point. Mm. My parents didn't go to uni so oh. so no one in my family had been to uni before that so wow. I think that there was definitely no pressure to go but I didn't know what to do. I, I had no connections in music, I didn't know anyone so really it was my only option in terms of a forward step. I thought hey I can like at least at least if I go to uni it's gonna buy me some time to work out how to do this. And, yeah. Um, and I met my manager Grant there. We were living in halls together. Oh. And, uh, yeah, so he was literally in the bedroom opposite me and he was like, Damn. I started making some stuff and he was like, ah, oh, let me manage you. And we were kind of like, okay, cool. And yeah, we, like, we kind of worked it out from there. And How, we, were, yeah. we were super lucky and he's still my manager today. Mm -hmm. How far on would you say you were in your career back then? Oof, well, how far on? I'd, well, I'd say even now I'm like, I consider this to be like the very start. Like, I, well, hopefully, like I really, I like I would I would be lying if I said I didn't have huge ambitions. And mm -hmm. I always want to, I want to make music for myself, and I always will. And I only ever make music that I think is cool. But at the same time, like I'd be lying if I said I didn't want as many people as possible to listen yeah. to that music. So yeah, I'd like to con, I'd like to think that I'm still early stages. And you were like a resident DJ, right? Yeah. So. Up in Liverpool, there's a club called Chibuku, and I, I was like, I was able to really like cut my teeth up there DJing because I, yeah. I did a lot of the warm-ups for, you know, you'd have like big DJs like Disclosure and Tutamont and like all these big names come through to play in Liverpool, and it'd be my job to kind of play from doors where you had mm -hmm. like no one on the dance floor, to up until when those people were about to go on. That was amazing. Like that was a real, um, it's a real education and kind of learning how to DJ and like cutting my teeth and learning how to read a room and stuff yeah and, and it's yeah it's, it's kind of it's weird now maybe being on the slot after the warm-up DJ yeah I was always the warm-up DJ but yeah. I, I kind of miss doing it as well because there's a certain charm to kind of starting with no one in a room and mm -hmm. you start yeah, energy-wise yeah. you start down here and you build up you build up until like that crowd's just at tipping point and then you always have to hand it over to someone else to <laughs> then come in and play the big tune in a moment, first song, and then the, the whole room would just go, Wah! but yeah, if you try to, if you try to take the glory for yourself too much, then you get like told off by the promoters. Oh, true, yeah. Because the headliners will get pissed off. Or yeah. It's just, it's good, not just that they get pissed off, it's that you're setting up the night correctly. Like no one wants the, the peak of their night to be before midnight, you know? So yeah. if you're a warm up DJ and you play the five biggest tunes at the moment, then you're just, no. Bit of a dick. <laughs> yeah. And then you were like doing something with like Katy Perry, right? Like this behind the scenes crew thing. Oh no, hold on, sorry. Nothing to do with production. This yes. is oh this is way before. Yeah. Oh sorry. Completely, yeah. So no, it's got not, we weren't working together at all. Yeah, yeah. I was working as part behind of the scenes. The, the like literal like workman crew, like yeah. high vis jackets, like helmets on, clearing out <laughs> after her. So when I was in Liverpool for cash. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we went down to um, she was playing at the arena in Liverpool. Yeah. And we had like these huge baggy like Katy Perry T-shirts, and we were like <laughs> they had like crew on the back, but it wasn't like working with her. It was literally like she would finish the concert. Yeah. And we like cleared the shit out, like carried the cables yeah. and stuff like that, and like. God, I forgot about that. I still have the t-shirt at home. It's like a huge t-shirt. It says Katy Perry, like, world tour on it or something. Yeah. But, yeah, that's crazy. Oh, my God, I completely forgot about that. <laughs> but um, I, she, like, finished the show. I remember seeing her. She came on stage and, like, sort of she got, like, escorted past everyone. And everyone was like, whoa, it's Katy Perry. And then yeah. there was this crazy moment before her encore where we had to walk out through the stadium getting prepared for the show to end and clear the stuff. As you walked out, it was like the feeling of walking out to like a, a stadium full of people, and Damn. I just I remember having this moment. I walked, it like sent chills at the back of my spine because it felt like for a moment you were walking out, you were in like stadium <laughs> headlines, and I was just in this like high-vis jacket. It's like whoa, yeah, that's gosh, really cool. I've completely forgotten about that. <laughs> And how did you connect like while you were a student too as PMR like disclosure? Yeah, so basically I was just a huge fan of them um, I was a huge fan of everything they were putting out as a label and um, So me and Grant, so Grant is my manager and we were living together at uni We got to our second summer and I basically I had some tracks online and I sort of I spent that summer just sat inside just making music and writing music and um, I'd sort of finished two or three tracks and Grant was going into some meetings. He was oh. So he got, the music got sent to PMR and they called for a meeting. So I was super excited even just to be meeting those guys. And then, um, so we walked in, played them the music. They were like, hey, do you have any more? So I played like everything I'd ever made. And they were like, okay, cool. And at the end of the meeting, they were like, right, let's do this. And yeah. I, thought, I thought we were just meeting. I was like, whoa, but by the end yeah. of the meeting, they were like, cool, let's go. Uh, so that was amazing, you know, and um, to be to be signed by one of my favorite labels was yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, didn't you play like a two thousand year old castle with like an yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, I got to do it twice in one summer, which is crazy. There's this place in uh, Ibiza called Dolt Vila, which is like this yeah. old heritage site, and I don't even know if they're allowed to do gigs on it anymore. But they had like Annie Mac did a night, and then the Disclosure guys did a night there, and I got to play both nights and. Um, it's beautiful because my set time, the sun was just kind of setting in the port, just like beyond, like over the old town. And yeah. It's oh my god, that's stunning. So nice. So cool. Yeah. And how far after was the Pharrell and everything? Um, God, where's that on a timeline? I think that must have been a couple of months after. So. Wow. Scott Venner had um, this guy called Scott Venner who does like the music supervision for Ballers. Yeah. Uh, for Entourage. And he hit me up on Twitter and he was like, hey, like, I want to put your, your track in my TV show. And I was like, cool. Like, but I thought nothing of it. Cause, you know, like, it had been on the TV in the UK on, like, I don't know, like, Geordie Shaw or something. Yeah. And I've been like, eh, whatever. Like, it, nothing, it didn't change my life, you know? But I didn't realize how massive HBO is and kind of yeah. and the significance of, like, the sync, like, where he was putting the track in the show. So, um, so he kept saying to me, he was like, oh, are you ready? Are you ready? And I was like, <laughs> You're I was like, like sure. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay, cool. Like, I don't know. And then it went on and like, I didn't, I wasn't aware of the influence of HBO, but my phone just like exploded. Damn. And like, I just had all of a sudden like, my streams, my like followers just like rocketed. That's crazy. And um, so then Scott also does a, um, 
Scott hosts a uh, Beats One radio show with Pharrell, so they're mm. like best friends. So the other tone on Beats One together, and um, he's been playing the track on there as well. So when I, was, I came to LA for the first time, Scott was like, "Oh shit, you should um, you should come down to the studio where we're filming." And I was like, "Okay," but I still didn't know if Pharrell was going to be there and stuff. Yeah. So we went down to the studio, and like I was meeting a lot of people. Then all of a sudden, this guy walks up to the circle. And it's like, oh, it's Pharrell, and he's like, hi, I'm Pharrell. And I was like, just like, I could hardly talk. And he, <laughs> so he like came over, shook, shook my hand, and he has this like lovely nature about him where he makes you feel like the only person in the room when he's Damn. talking to you. And then Scott was like, oh, this is S.G. Lewis. We played his music on the show, da, da, da. and he was like, oh, he goes, oh, thank you for the beautiful music. And I was like, ah. <laughs> I could like hardly Dead. speak. And yeah, it was like the craziest experience of my life. I still. I still feel like that was like a dream or something. Yeah. <laughs> what would you say have been your biggest struggles so far? Struggles? I would say um, I'm someone that deals with anxiety and like mm. I sort of, I went through quite a heavy spout of it sort of start of this year. For wow. Months. Just how I really learned a lot about myself and how to deal with it and I think um, also just learning to talk about it, you know, yeah. it's, not, it's not something to be ashamed of or embarrassed by and it's, uh, I found for myself that it's stuff like exercising every morning, hmm. uh, drinking less, like yeah. fighting less and stuff. And just like looking after myself generally, not to sound boring and preachy about it, but like, so I run every morning and it's not to, uh, not to stay in shape or anything. Like I don't really yeah. care about how I look, but it's much more to do with just like clearing my head. So Damn. really the anxiety can like, it can block your like creative flow and stuff. Yeah. But I'm really on top of it now and I feel like better than I have in like wow. ever really. But yeah. it's, um, I think if anyone's struggling with it, just like don't be afraid to like reach out and yeah. talk about it. I think. Did your anxiety come from like doing like music or? I think it, I think it came from the pressure. I think that like when things start going well, people get excited, and mm -hmm. you know it's an exciting time. I think that you know you can really um, self doubt can really get on top of you, and you can you have like imposter syndrome where you're just like wait. Like I've tricked all these people. Like, what yeah. am I doing here? Da, da, da. Wow. I think you just put that pressure on yourself. Yeah. But I think that nowadays, I'm much more just like relaxed about it. And you, you kind of, as long as you keep making music that you like, you know, any anxiety would come from pressure to do something you don't want to do. I think, yeah. As well. I think when when people get excited about a project, then there's certain expectations commercially and stuff. But the reason that you get to that position in the yeah. first place is because you've made something honest to yourself and people like it. Yeah. So I think that, you know, as long as you're true to yourself and you keep making music for yourself, then that anxiety is not going to appear, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Last question. What do you want to be remembered for? I want to be remembered for making bedroom dance and for electronic jams. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I love that. Yeah. Thank you so that much. Do. <laughs> Thanks so much. We got that. Yep. <laughs> Bye. The first version was terrible. <laughs> bye bye.